Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Ministries Wednesday Night Bible Study Podcast. I'm Dr. William Boyd, and this is a recording of our Wednesday Night Bible Study service. If you enjoy the podcast and you would like to join us in person, feel free to do so. We are at Living Word Ministries, 825 Taylor Street in Lynchburg, Virginia, every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. I hope you're blessed as you open the Word of God with us. This is our Bible study from October 10th, 2018, and we're talking about what it means to be part of God's church. We're going to finish up our, our lesson for tonight, and this is actually the last lesson of uh, the series that we're doing. Um, so we'll start up we'll start up something else after we finish that. Um, but the series that we're doing is focusing on on us. Amen. Who are we? Who are we to God? And it's important. That's very important for us to understand. We know that it's not all about us. Amen. Um, but we need to know who we are in God. That's how we understand our relationship with him. Amen. And part of the problem is, part of the problem that we have is we look at ourselves from a worldly perspective because the world doesn't agree with what the scripture has to say about who we are. Amen. Let, let, let's just let's just pause there for a second. I want to ask the question. What, what do y'all think the world says about who we are as people? What does the world say to us? Not really a right or wrong answer, but just what, what in y'all's perception, what does the world say to you on a day-to-day basis about who you are? No, just who we are as people, as human beings. What's our purpose? Why are we here? Yeah, we, we want to be in the in the right relationship, but the world says the world says a lot of different things, right? The world is really all over the place with a lot of the things that it says. Um, I if if I look at the TV, um, the world says to me. I see a lot of things about, well, most of the time they're trying to sell me something, right? Um, and, and really, when they're trying to sell me something, it's, it's all about me. They're always making it all about me. When you, they have always got like the models and the beautiful people using the different products and things. They're trying to tell you, you can be like this, amen? They're trying to associate that in our mind to say, okay, this person looks great. They're having a good time. Um, they're doing whatever. And therefore, I should buy that product. But see, that's all about me, me, me. In other words, they're telling me, in order for me to be like that, this is what I must do. So that's, that's, just, that's one of my thoughts on it. The world, if, if we really look at the world, the message the world sends us is, I'm here for myself. I'm a person living on this earth, and it's my job to, uh, to live the best life I can live. But that's not what the scripture says. 
The scripture tells us we have a higher purpose than just ourselves. The scripture tells us we don't even belong to ourselves. Amen. The scripture tells us we are a creation. That means that we belong to God. That means that we have a purpose that is given to us by God. Just so just think about it this way. If somebody creates something, if somebody builds a house out of stones, the house has a purpose. Otherwise, they wouldn't have built it. They built it for someone to live in, right? But a rock just sitting on the ground doesn't have a purpose. I mean, maybe God has a purpose for it, but, but just by itself, just a rock sitting on the ground, we don't see any purpose behind that. That's because nobody turned it into anything. When someone creates something, it has a purpose. Does that make sense? They have a reason why they created it. They have an intention. So the creator is what determines the purpose of the thing that was created. If I create something, what is the purpose of it? It's whatever I want it to be. And if God creates something, the purpose of it is whatever he decided the purpose should be. What he wanted that purpose to be. So the, the world doesn't tell us any of that. But the scripture tells us, that's why it's so important that see, understanding who we are, it helps us frame the whole concept uh, of, of how we operate in our lives. Because so much of the way that we think and the way that we operate is just based on us. And we don't see the greater purpose that we have in God. Sometimes we get so frustrated. And every time you get frustrated, look at it. Just stop and examine it. Or go back and examine it later. Nine times out of ten, it's focused on you. If you're frustrated because this person spoke to me that way. They made me feel this way. Right? We get frustrated behind that stuff. It affects us. But the scripture tells us it's not all about us. See, when, when we understand that everything is about God and, and we have Him on our side, we don't have to be frustrated by all that stuff. Just because somebody wrongs me, well, what does that matter? God is giving me life. Amen? Compared to the promises and the things that God is, is, is pouring out on me, what you said to me, that really is not a big deal. See, so it can change. The way we look at ourselves can change how we approach a lot of different things. So it's important for us to understand what does Scripture say about who we are? Because other people will tell you who you are. The world will tell you who you are. People wanting to sell you something will tell you who you are. What does Scripture say that you are? And that's what we're, that's what we're studying through this series. So we talked about first being redeemed. Because as Christians, that's, that's at the core of who we are, is our relationship with God, which is founded on what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen? Being redeemed means that we are acceptable to God. That means God accepts and does not reject us. How many know that a lot of people in the world will reject you? A lot of people in life will reject you. 
But, but so our relationship with someone, and it's not, it's not fun to be rejected. We don't want to be rejected. But our Creator accepts us. He does not reject us. In spite of our faults. That means we're acceptable. That means we're worthy. Amen? We're worthy. Why? Because we did, because we're all that? No. Because of what He chose to do for us. Because He decided to make us worthy through the work that He performed upon the cross. He made us worthy. Amen? He made us worthy to be in His presence. He made us worthy to enjoy the life that He has for us. He made us worthy. So that's, that's the foundation, that major foundation of who we are is the fact that we're redeemed. Second thing we talked about was being God's creation. Amen. We already talked a little bit about that today, about how the Creator gives us purpose. Amen. It also determines why we are the way we are. Amen. We've got a Creator. God created us. We have His image inside of us. And because of sin... That image may be damaged, it may be uh, obscured and hidden, but it's not destroyed. And God is restoring His image in us, amen? And that's what it means as we continue to more and more have the character of Christ, as we grow in Him, we become like Him, our character becomes like Him. We care about what, we, what He cares about, we love what He loves, we hate what He hates. Amen? Um, so we're a creation of God. He created us in the beginning, and He's recreating and restoring us right now. Amen. Um, so, so you know, we've been we've been talking about these different things and dealing with some of these different aspects of who we are in God. Now we've been talking about really who we are as a group. Amen. We've been talking about who we are as a group, not as individuals, but as a community of believers, and we're talking about the church. And this is very important because as human beings, part of that purpose when God created us, He didn't create us as lone wolves. He did not create us as individual, disconnected people that are isolated and alone. That's not what that's not how, how he what he created us to be. That's why when God was in the garden with Adam, he said, It is not good that the man is alone. So he created Eve. But what, what what's important to understand about that is in that moment, God did not just create Eve. He created Eve, but he created much more than Eve, because Eve came with a special ability. She came with the ability to create the entire human race. Amen? God created her and gave her the power to create more people. Amen? With, without Eve, that with, with just Adam in the garden, if Eve was never created, it would be Adam there still today. Well, I, I shouldn't say that because we don't know what he, he might have still ate of the tree. But... So, but, but it would just be him. There would be no human race. Amen? Um, so what I'm saying is, when God created Eve, 
he was not only saying, I'm creating one companion for Adam. We're going to create a whole world full of people. That's what God was doing in that moment. Okay? So it was very important. Um, And Adam made a big deal about that when he saw Eve, by the way. When he saw her, he sang a song saying, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, here's another person like me. Therefore, I shall call her Eve, which means what? Mother of all living. So he made, So basically, Adam realized and understood, here's another person like me, but she's also going to be the mother of all living. So God has not only created Eve, he's created a whole human race, not just one man. So... Um, God did not create us to be alone. His intention was for us to be in community. And that's that's what the church is today. Amen? God has created and designed so many things in Scripture. We've talked about some of them. But God has created and designed the church according to His purpose and according to His will. And that's at the core of who we are as individuals and as a community. Because a huge part of our identity, a huge part of what God has designed for us to be, is to be part of that community. Amen? And as individuals, um, if you you want to grow in God and you want to become everything God has for you, you can't do it on your own. We're going to look at some scriptures tonight that will talk more about that. But, um, and, and, and really it's, it's, Fulfilling your role within the church and serving the body of Christ, that is a major part of your growth in Christ. Amen? So one of the things I want us to understand is, and we'll get to this a little more, but for us really to grow in Him, we have to serve. A lot of people think it's the other way around. A lot of people think you have to grow and mature and then turn around and serve. Not true. You serve in order to grow and mature. It's part of your growth. Amen? Amen. Um, all right, so we talked, about, we talked about the early church. We talked about um, the thing, what the early church looked like when the church first was created on the day of Pentecost. Amen? Um, and we talked about some of the things that Scripture really emphasizes about the church. And, and I kind of came up with a list here. We went over this last time, um, and, and I, we won't go over these scriptures again. But this is a list of things that, just looking at the scripture, the, where I got this list from was basically saying, okay, what does scripture emphasize? What are the things that are repeated about the church? What kind of things, if you look when, it, when the church is described in the Bible, what are the things that they're doing? What are the things that characterize the church? Amen? And, and so this is what the church is supposed to look like, okay, according to Scripture. Um, and we don't always measure up to it, but we need to always, if we are falling short in any of these areas, that's something we really need to push toward and, and focus on. Amen? Um, total commitment to God. Not going to repeat what we said last time, but I want to just read these off. Total commitment to God. Spirit-filled, 
devoted to the Word, extraordinary love, exceptional unity, and commitment to mission. Amen? Um, So, sometimes we need to examine ourselves. If we're putting a lot of effort into something, and it doesn't have anything to do with any of those things, is it worth it? Amen? Are we reaching people? Are we building disciples? Are we worshiping God? Are we showing love toward God? Are we showing unity? Are we showing love for one? You know, those things. Those are the things we need... We need to ask ourselves, um, and those are the things God cares about based on His Word. Amen. We're His church. We don't. The church does not belong to us; it belongs to God. The church needs to be doing what God cares about, not what we care about, not what we think is great. Amen. And that's why one of the major issues that that plagues the church in our nation today is this. Focus on entertainment. Focus on entertainment. And nothing in that list says the church is here to entertain people. And and it doesn't even say that the church is to get as many people to show up to service as possible. Because you can get a lot of people to show up to a church service just by entertaining them. But are you making them into disciples? Amen? Because a lot, because if you look at, at Jesus' ministry... When Jesus really got down and down and in the nitty gritty and started telling the disciples how it really was, that's when people turn around and left. So sometimes doing the right thing is actually going to push people away. But at the end of the day, do we do you want to have a church full of people that um, aren't growing in God and are just there, probably hell, bound to hell anyway? Because they don't even know them, it's totally. Po- I mean, I, I I have no problem saying that because people can sit in a, in a pew every Sunday and go straight to hell, and we need to understand that. Um, we could have a church full of people like that, or we could have a church of people that are walking in victory and power and and, and growing in God and doing the things that that God calls us to do. No, no church is perfect. Okay, this is not to criticize any church but when i look at our nation that's what i see is we have a big focus on entertainment because i think we just want to bring numbers in and so we entertain people but lives are not changed i'm not trying to go on on a tangent with that but just looking at scripture i think that's why it's so important for us to under to stay focused on our mission amen um, we are here to make disciples. That means to reach the lost that don't know God and to take the immature that do know God and turn them into maturity. So we take someone who's lost out on the street all the way to maturity in God. Everything we do should be focused around that. Amen? Amen. And that's our church mission statement. Total man, totally committed to that's that's what that's all about. That's about taking men and women and and making them committed to God in every area of their life. That's discipleship right there. Amen. Um, all right. So there's a couple additional, three additional scriptures here 
that we're going to focus, or three, three main scriptures we're going to focus on tonight. And if we finish this, I have another lesson. We'll just go straight into that. Um, but the first scripture we're going to look at tonight is Ephesians 2, um, 19 through 22. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of faith, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye, are also, ye, ye also are builded together for a habitation of God, through the Spirit. Thank you. So this scripture talks to us about a very important concept, and that concept deals with the presence of God. Amen? The presence of God. How many of you in here can say that you've ever felt or experienced God's presence? Amen. So, so y'all know what I'm talking about when we talk about God's presence. Um, the presence of God. Now, we, we know that God is, he's what's called omnipresent. That means he's, he's present everywhere, right? But, even though he is present everywhere, his presence is manifested in specific locations at specific times. So, when I say manifested, that means it, what is invisible becomes visible. What you cannot see, what you cannot feel, what you cannot perceive, all of a sudden now, somehow you can perceive it. Okay? Manifested. God's presence becomes manifested. So, for example, when uh, the people of Israel were standing out next to the Red Sea, wondering how they were going to get away from Pharaoh, what happened? God showed up in a, in a firestorm in a cloud. A cloud by day and a fire by night. And this cloud blocked the army of Pharaoh so that they could not approach the children of God. Um, that was God's presence being manifested right there in that spot beside the Red Sea. Now in the scripture, especially in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, God's presence was a very big deal. It still is in the New Testament, but I'm just talking about the Old Testament right now. God's presence was a very big deal. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest promises that God made to the nation of, the Old Testament is all about the nation of Israel, right? God made them wonderful, great promises. One of the greatest promises that he ever made to them was this. He said, I will dwell in your midst. That means that his presence would be manifested in the middle of them, all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so what they did was they built, God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle, and that was the place where God's presence dwelt. And that cloud that was outside the Red Sea came down and rested on the tabernacle. And when it was time for, when they were in the wilderness and it was time for them to move, the cloud would pick up and they would follow it, the cloud would come down, there they would set up the tabernacle. So that's God's presence, okay? Then they created the temple. Amen? Once they entered the land, and once they became established in the land, God allowed King Solomon to take that tent. The tabernacle was a tent. It was a, 
it was a it was a place for God's presence. You could take it down, move it somewhere else, and put it back up. Okay. Now that they're established in the land, they build a permanent building, a building to house the presence of God. Nothing like a church, whatsoever. If you went into the temple, number one, you wouldn't have been allowed to. But if you could, there wouldn't be seats like this because people don't go in there except for the priests. Okay? The temple was not a church house. It was not... um, the, The purpose of the temple was to house the presence of God. It was God's house. Look at what he says right here in the Scripture. You are no more strangers and foreigners, verse 19, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. So he's talking about the fact that we are now all one people. Um, Specifically back then, um, he's talking about people of multiple nationalities, multiple different nations, multiple ethnicities. They are no longer foreigners and strangers to one another. Fellow citizens with the saints. In other words, we're all part of one nationality now, the kingdom of God. Amen? And of the household of God. Household of God. That we're, how are we part of God's household? Well, one of the things we talked about was being a child of God. Amen? We we're adopted by Him. We're His sons and daughters, therefore we're part of His household. Okay, so we're one people. God has created this special people. That's the church. That's what we're talking about, okay? Called out group of people community. Verse 20, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's the Bible. That's the teaching. Amen. The foundation of the, 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 the prophets is referring to the Old Testament. The apostles is the New Testament. Amen. Same concept. They are authoritative teachers of, of God. That's the foundation. Okay. Okay. Why are we talking about a foundation? Well, Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Okay, we're talking about a building now. That's what we're talking about. We're saying we have a foundation. Now we have a cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most important stone in the structure. It's the first stone that is placed down, and it, it sits at the very bottom of the corner. Why is it important? Because every other stone has to line up based on that cornerstone. Otherwise, the whole thing is crooked. Amen? So the cornerstone determines how the entire structure is going to be positioned. So the cornerstone is the most important stone. So Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. So if we could picture a building being built, we got a foundation, the apostles and prophets, now we got Jesus, the cornerstone, most important stone in the whole thing, everything else, now that we have a foundation and a cornerstone, we're ready to start building this thing. So now we start seeing the building being com- coming up. And what kind of building is this? Is it a house? Is it a grocery store? No. It's a holy temple. Okay, so that's why I went off on that whole thing, talking about the temple. The temple houses the presence of God. God promised the children of Israel, one of the greatest promises, He said, that I will dwell in your midst. My presence will be with you. He promised that to no other nation. 
That's what made them a special people. That God's presence was with them. So one of the important things we got to understand about the church is that the church, not the church building, okay, but the people, the community, is the temple of God. That means that the church is what houses God's presence on this earth. Okay, so just like in the Old Testament, when God said, okay, I'm up here in heaven, and I'm omnipresent, but I'm going to manifest my presence in a special spot on the earth at this time. And he did it right in the middle of the nation of Israel. He's, He's done that again. Okay? He's done that again. And he's done it right in the middle of his people, the church. You and I are the bricks of the temple. Now, if you, if you really understand your uh, theology, you know the Holy Ghost dwells within us. Amen? And the Holy Ghost is the presence of God actually living in each one of us. So if you say today, okay, is God manifesting His presence on the earth today? Yes, He is. As long as there are believers on the earth, God is manifesting His presence on the earth just like He did in the temple. Now, if you, if you study that sometime, because if you really understand all the concepts of the temple and dealing with how, and how all that was put together and the significance of it, that should blow your mind right there. Because the temple was... It was, it was not a... It was, today, it's something that's hard for us to connect with sometimes. It's hard for us to understand what it was all about. But back in the Old Testament times, it was a, it was a serious big deal. Everything having to do with... You could not sweep the... If you went in to sweep the floor of the temple and, didn't, and weren't the right person and didn't have the right... Uh, rituals and and sacrifices done before you went in, you could be you could fall dead just like that. That's how serious it was. When Moses was in the wilderness, one of the things that they did in the temple was they would offer incense, sweets. They burn this stuff that has a good smell to it. Okay, they would burn twenty four seven in the in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. They had a little thing where they would burn this incense. And God, God gave Moses the recipe for the incense. Gave him the recipe for it. Exactly what ingredients to use, exactly how to make it. And one day, a couple of Aaron's sons, Aaron was the first high priest and his sons were, were training up under him. A couple of his sons decided that they had a better idea of how to make that recipe. Okay? Doesn't, doesn't sound that bad. What happened? When they went to offer the incense, fire came out of the sanctuary and consumed them. Okay, so God's presence is serious. It's a big deal. The fact that we carry God's presence with us in the earth, that means we're walking around putting other people in God's presence. Amen? Every time you walk in a room, you're putting every person in that room into God's presence. Amen? And so that's what he's talking about. We as the church, 
as individuals and collectively, as long as, the, as, long as believers exist on the earth, God's presence is, is on the earth, and as long as believers exist on the earth, the church exists on the earth. The church is the temple of God. It is the house of God's presence. Amen? It's not to be... That's, that's why the scripture, the scripture says if you... Uh, John talks about this in the book of 1 John. He says if you don't love the brethren... He's not even talking about people outside the church. He's talking specifically about people inside the church. If you don't love the brethren, you're not saved. That's what he says. Read it. He, because he says... God is love. How can someone who doesn't love his brethren claim that he's connected to God? Um, so, very. That's why it's so serious because we're because that brethren is the temple of God. And when and that so when we we gotta understand when we when we come together right now. Right now we're the temple of God. In this room. Sometimes we don't notice God's presence. Sometimes we don't always feel God's presence. But the scripture tells us that the temple of God is right here. Not because of this building. We could, we could be out in the parking lot and it would be out there. Okay? So, we as the body of Christ, we are the container. And God cannot be contained, but we are containing the manifestation. We are the house of the manifestation. We bring God's presence into the world. So when, when we talk about um, reaching souls and reaching people for God, God wants people to have an encounter with Him. God wants people to have an encounter with His presence. How are they going to do that? Well, what's the easiest way? God's presence is already here on earth. It's right here. So what's the easiest way? Well, the easiest way is for God to use us. The easiest way is for us to be used of God to bring the presence to them. And see, that's, that's the major difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the presence was in the temple. And you even couldn't really even get close to it. Um, as a normal, if you were just a normal average person in the nation of Israel, you could not even get close to it. You couldn't even get inside the fence that was inside the fence fence that was inside the fence that was around it multiple different layers amen um but it but now the presence comes to to the people through you and me because god sends us to go and reach them amen so you had to come to it and you couldn't even get close to it now the presence comes to you through us that's that, and, and that's something that God has revealed in the last days. Um, the scripture says that, that God has, has revealed that plan in the last days as something to show his wisdom and his power. So he is showing his wisdom and his greatness through this idea that he cooked up to have us bring the presence out to the world. Amen? God has us on display right now is what that's saying. This whole process, this whole concept of the church God has it on display for His glory. Okay? Um, all right, so 
Very important concept to understand about the church, that we are housing the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Um, let's, let's go. Does anybody have any questions or comments about that before we go on? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy to, to understand what we're talking about. Um, we, we bring God into every situation. Amen. That's why we're the light. It's not because we have it all together. It's not because we know how to live. It's not because we're living right or we, or we know the moral way to live or whatever. It's because of His presence in us. That's what, that's what impacts the world. Amen is not, uh, you know, what we say, but who we are. Amen? Um, and we are. We, ca- we carry His presence with us in, into every situation we go into. And we don't always understand it. Sometimes our, if, if we're acting in the flesh, it can be hidden. And, and if, if you're acting in your flesh, people can't see the presence of God in you. Amen? Um, so that's why it's so important for us not to live and walk according to our flesh. Amen. That that just means what our flesh, what our physical form, the, our immediate instinct, our immediate reaction, what we want to do. That's our flesh. The way that we want to respond to a situation. Amen. Can and it, sometimes that can hide God's presence. But if we're if we're operating according to the Spirit, we're obeying God. We are not just doing what we want to do and saying what we want to say. Um, then we are. Then people will actually see the presence, and you may not even realize it. Amen. But it's according to Scripture. Whether you feel it, whether you understand it, whether you even see it, you are carrying that presence. Amen. Absolutely. Um, all right. Let, let's go on to our next scripture. Let's go on to Revelation nineteen. Uh, we're going to read verse seven through verse nine. Can somebody read that for me into the mic? Revelation 19, 7 through 9.
Yeah, Revelation 19, verse 7 through verse 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Thank you. The scripture talks about the church being the bride of Christ. This is one of those scriptures, amen? The bride of Christ. Um, a lot of people... There, there, uh, there was a movie that came out a, while, a long time ago called The Da Vinci Code that was all about this theory that Jesus was married and it just nobody knew about it. It wasn't written down in the, in the Scripture. Um, that doesn't jive with Scripture, amen, um, because Scripture says that Jesus was not married in his earthly life, but he is going to be married. He is going to be married to the church. And the scripture uses that concept to tell us a lot about our relationship um, with, with him. Um, talks a lot about how a husband, like in Ephesians 5, talks about how a husband is supposed to care for his wife as Christ loved the church. So it's that picture of uh, a husband is supposed to operate in self-sacrificial love for his wife. Amen. That means he's more concerned about her than himself. That means he's willing to go through if it means she's going to be blessed. Amen. Um, and Jesus certainly was willing to do that for us as he demonstrated clearly on the cross. Amen. Um, but it's, it's this concept of a marriage relationship that, that Jesus is like a husband of the bride of him who is the church. Um, and He's caring for her. But, but look at this. It says, um, it says, Be glad and rejoice. Give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. The Lamb is talking about Jesus, and his wife hath made herself ready. So the church right now is, a time, is in a time of getting ready for the marriage. That's, that's the, the consistent picture that the Scripture paints of this is that the bride is getting ready. But this in Revelation is talking about the end. This is the wedding day, okay? Right now, we're in the preparation. We're in the wedding preparation. But the wedding day is coming. The wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So what does it mean for the church, the bride of Christ, to be getting ready? What is, what is her dress? On any, on any wedding day, amen, the dress is a big deal, amen? Can, can everyone agree with that? Um, uh, the bride spends a lot of time thinking about the dress, trying on different dresses. They want it to be just right, amen, right? So what is the wedding dress? That's what this is talking about. What's the wedding dress? It says that the church, the bride of Christ, is, is in a white linen wedding dress. But in verse, uh, in verse seven, 8, it says, The fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. 
The saints is us. That's the church. What is the righteousness? It's talking about the righteous deeds, the righteous actions. Um, The scripture tells us that God created us to do good works that he prepared for us to do. In other words, we each have a purpose. And our purpose is to bear fruit. That means we grow closer to God in our relationship with him, and we do good works. Our good works is not what saves us, but our good works is what clothes the bride of Christ. So that's what it means for the, for, for the bride of Christ to be getting ready. That's, that, that's what impresses Jesus, right? Is he impressed by clothes? No. Is he impressed by dresses? No. What is he impressed by? Love for God and good works. That's what, according to Scripture, that's what he cares about, right? That's why he keep telling the Pharisees, you guys give God a bunch of lip service, but how do you really treat people? How do you, how do you really act? See, he wasn't pleased because their works, their fruit was messed up. So what does Jesus care about? If he wants his bride to be clothed in something, and he doesn't care about dresses and fashion, what does he care about? He cares about good works. He cares about righteousness. He cares about how we operate. He cares about us living in a way that is pleasing to the Father. So for him, what's going to impress him? What's going to make him say, wow, when the bride comes out of the door to go down the aisle on the wedding day, is the good works of the saints. That, so that, that's, that's the picture that's being painted here. Um, is that is what's going to impress Jesus. Um, what this is talking about is there's going to come a day when you and I are going to live in his presence forever. And it's going to be like a marriage relationship. Us collectively as the church are the bride of Christ. He cares for us. He sacrifices for us. He blesses us. He provides for us. Amen. And, and, and so, so it's talking about that relationship. The marriage relationship is a, is an image of the relationship between Jesus and his people. Amen. So as the church, we are the bride of Christ. Um, we have a mission right now to do the work that he's called us to do. Amen. Don't you want the bride to look good on her wedding day? If we're going to be part of the church, don't we want Jesus to be pleased with what we did while we were on this earth? Amen. So, um, this so so that that's that's another part of understanding who we are as the church is that the church is the bride of Christ. She's like a bride being prepared for her wedding day. So we're in a preparation stage right now. We're in a time of preparation. Amen. Um, and the scripture is telling us, use the time correctly. And the time is not infinite. Amen. I've been, to a, I've been to a wedding or two where it seemed like the bride thought there was infinite time. But in this situation, there's not infinite time. There, he's going to come back. And the scripture, the scripture always warns us, you don't know when he's going to show up. He could come back before we leave this building today. Would we be ready? And I'm not just asking, would, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? That's an important question to ask. But there's another question. Once you get there, what is God going to say? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pleased with how you live your life. 
And as scripture tells us, that's one of the things when we talked about when we were going over 1 Corinthians, was that we our works are going to be judged. So in addition to being judged whether you're going to heaven or hell, there's another judgment after that. Even if you make it into heaven, he's still going to evaluate how did you live your life. And if he's not pleased, you still get to go into heaven, okay, but he's not going to be pleased with how you live your life. Amen? Um, so the truth is we want to please God. If we're really in a relationship with him, it's not about us. We don't want him to be disappointed in us. Amen? All right, so so the church is the bride of Christ, and it's up to us. Um, there's another scripture there. Let's read that real quick. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27. We'll just read that scripture, then we'll, we'll talk about that just briefly and go on to the next. Um, but can someone read that for me real quick? Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Um, yeah. Can you, can you pass the mic back there? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Thank you. So this scripture is is mainly talking about earthly husbands and earthly wives, but he's telling the earthly husband to imitate Jesus as he's doing what he's doing as a husband. Amen. So the bride is the church. How does Jesus behave toward the church? That's how earthly husbands should imitate that. Amen. Um, so that's instructions for us men um, within a marriage on how to operate, number one. But he's also talking about how Jesus interacts with the church. That's kind of what we're focusing on tonight. Um, it says he loved the church and gave himself for it, so self-sacrificial love, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So he wants the church to be pure and holy before God. Amen? So that's that's what Jesus wants for us. That should be what any husband should should want for his wife, is for her to grow spiritually, for her to be pure and holy before God. Amen? That should be the husband's goal. Um, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So in other words, pure holiness. Um, Holiness means being like God, being without sin, being without spot or wrinkle, amen? In other words, his work, he, he does not want the church to show up halfway together. Amen. He does not want the church to show up doing kind of okay, but not really focused on God and all over the place and worshiping other things and uh, chasing after other things that's not pleasing to God. That's not what he wants. Amen. So that's what he's talking about. For, for, and he wants that for the whole church. So that's on us as individuals. we got to be without spot or wrinkle. But God wants the whole church to be without spot or wrinkle. 
and that is on us too. So just because you feel like you got it together, maybe maybe you. So my first question to you is: Your life without spot or wrinkle? Don't answer. Amen. But that's my question to you: Is your life without spot or wrinkle? Here's my second question. And 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 I, I would imagine probably most. Pro, I don't. I hope that none of us would say completely no, because we all got things we, we're going through. We all got things we're dealing with. But maybe some of us would say, well, you know. God has brought me out of some things. I got less spots than I had in the past. Um, and I'm, I'm confident in my growth in God, and I'm established in Him, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I plan to continue to grow in Him and become more pure in Him. If that's your answer, then here's my second question. Or even if that's not your answer, even if your answer is, I'm still struggling, whatever. Here's my second question. Is the church without spot or wrinkle? And that's not for us to criticize others, but that's for us to take it upon ourselves to say, what can I do to, to bless and favor the house of God? Because that, that, how, how does the church become without spot or wrinkle? Well, Jesus works on us, but how does he do that? One of the major ways that he works on us is he has provided gifts and talents within the house of God to build up the house of God. So how does the church get where it needs to be? The answer is, includes us amen it includes us exercising and i'm getting a little ahead but exercising the gifts and talents and calling that god has given us amen all right any questions or comments about the bride of christ amen all right let's let's go on to our next let's go on to the last scripture we have for this lesson um ephesians 4 15 and 16 Somebody, somebody could read that into the, whoever's got the mic. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You go on and read verse 16 real quick. Okay. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Thank you. So this scripture is talking about the body of Christ. First it says that we should not be children, no longer be children. Amen. So it's talking about spiritual maturity. And he talks about spiritual children being tossed to and fro. Um, not, not founded, not, not stayed in place, but being pushed around by everything that comes their way. Amen? So spiritual immaturity is one minute you're connected to God, the next minute you're over here, blown, being blown all over by every wind that comes by. Amen? Um, but but we should eventually reach a and, and as that's okay for someone who's beginning. But as we continue to grow and reach a place of maturity, eventually we can no longer be children. Amen. But here's here's spiritual maturity. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Okay, so. He wants us to grow up into Christ. 
He's saying that we grow up towards Jesus. We become more connected to him. We become closer to him as we grow up. Amen? Um, but in verse 16, he talks about the body. And you, of course, when we went over 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to read more about the body of Christ, pl- plenty more in 1 Corinthians 12. But I really wanted to look at this verse because this verse shows us something. It puts it in a very compacted way for us to kind of see what he's talking about here. He says the whole body, the body of Christ, okay? that's the, the scripture talks about the church as a body. And there's different parts of the body. You might be an arm and I might be a leg, but when we come together, we form the body of Christ, okay? Um, the whole body, fitly joined together, so connected together, and compacted by that which each, which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. So here's what he's talking about. He says the effectual working. That means effective. Effectual means it, it accomplishes the intended purpose. Okay. So when you work effectively, when each part is working effectively, It, all the parts are fitly joined together and nourished by what every joint supplies. So for a body to move, for a body to operate, for a body to live and do the things that it does, all the parts have to be working together, supplying whatever is theirs to supply. The heart has to supply blood. The muscle has to supply movement. The bone has to supply stability for the muscle to connect to. Amen. All the different parts of the body has to supply their piece in order for the body to function correctly. That's what he's talking about. So this this is how the church grows. Not in numbers, but in maturity. It's important for, for, for us to grow in numbers because we gotta reach, we should be reaching more people and bringing people in, right? But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about numbers. He's talking about growing in maturity. Growing not horizontally but vertically okay in maturity when every piece of the body is doing what god called it to do with doing what it was designed to do then all the pieces are nourished and supplied by that piece whether you know it or not you have a you have something to supply to the body of christ you have something to supply. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how spiritual gifts play a part in that, the different giftings and talents and abilities and knowledge that God has given you. Amen. But every single person, and this does not just go for mature Christians, it goes for the person who was saved yesterday. Every single piece of the body has something that God intends for you. To, to nourish the body of Christ. Not just, to nourish the, not just to nourish the organization or the building, but the community, the people, okay? Those things are important, it's in, and, and, and service is one of the gifts, right? So cleaning the church, that, that's, that's, that's part of it. But also to nourish the community. You can cut the grass, that's part of it but to nourish the community. 
Amen. To nourish the body of Christ. This is how, well, it says it maketh increase of the body. In verse 16, it maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. The edifying of itself. Edify means to build up. So that means it builds itself up. Think about how, it, how we grow as human beings, how a child grows. You don't stack stuff on top of them until they get taller. They grow from inside. I'm talking about just how physically a child gets taller. The body nourishes itself and grows itself from the inside out. That's what, so that's what he's saying, that the body is nourishing itself. Each part is working together, nourishing the body. That's how we as a body of Christ. So we, when we talk about all these things as a church, that, that what the church should be according to Scripture, if we're falling short in any of those areas, the answer to that is for us as individuals in the body to make sure that we are contributing. Amen? The more that we, and, and I'm, I'm saying we are contributing according to how God, what God, the gifts that, and callings and, and abilities that God has given us, amen, we should be seeking God very, very seriously. We should be seeking God, not letting God's, if, if you don't know how to serve the body, if you don't know what, what your place in the body is, you should be not letting the ear of God rest until he guides you into that place. Amen. And sometimes we wait for God to tell us something. Amen. But when, when the scripture already told us, we need to be moving on certain things. Amen. So, you know, some don't, don't always just wait for God to come down from heaven and tell you exactly what to do, but seek him and say, God, maybe I should get involved here. And if God opens the door and begins to show you that that's where you're flowing, then that's where you need to flow. If not, go get involved and try to, but don't just sit and wait. Don't just sit and do nothing, amen? Because when we sit and do nothing, that's when the body of Christ stagnates. And it's, it's, it's for us that we should all be asking that question. God, is there more that you're calling me to do? Is there gifts I'm not using? Is there people I'm not, I'm not ministering to that I should be? We should take that seriously, amen? And, and be willing to step out and do it, even if it's hard, even if we're scared or we're nervous or we don't know if we can. That's, it's not for pastors just to serve the body of Christ. This scripture, every, every part of the body supplies. If only the pastor is supplying, the body cannot grow. What maketh increase of the body? Only when the pastor is supplying? No. When every joint, every piece, every part is nourishing and supplying what the body needs. Amen? Um, so, so that right there, we are, we are the body of Christ. We, we bring God's presence into situations. We really do. That's part of what it means to be his body as well. Because your body is your physical form on the earth. If you're going to talk to somebody, you're going to use your body to do it. If Jesus wants to talk to somebody down here, most of the time, how is he going to do it? He's going to use his body. He could send an angel or whatever, but most of the time he's going to use his body. 
He's going to use us as his mouthpiece. He's going to use us as his hands and his feet. If he want to, wants to put a coat on somebody's back, he's going to use us to do it. Okay? When Jesus was here on this earth, what did he do? He served the poor. He served the needy. He served the sick. He taught the people. He gave them guidance. He gave them instruction. He reached out to them. He ministered to them. He loved on them. He did not decide to stop doing that when he went back up into heaven. He left his body behind here to keep doing it while he's there on his behalf for him. That's why it's so important for us to be the body of Christ. We, when we serve others, we minister to others, we reach others, there's so many things that need to be done. There's so many new things that need to be done. Amen? There's so many new things that people haven't even thought of yet that needs to be done. Or maybe hadn't been thought of in this house that needs to be done to reach this world. Amen? And it's not being done because, because people are not, not everyone is doing, um, is, is, you know, we got a lot of people that just come to receive. Amen? And, and, and you know, Maybe that's okay for, for a time, but you need to reach a point of maturity. And, and, I, and I don't say that to criticize anyone or to, um, to be down on anyone or anything like that. I say that out of love because it's part of our growth. It's part of our growth. And, it, and it's not about, well, you know, it's not about looking at somebody else and saying, well, I'm doing the work. How come you're not doing the work? That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's love for those that aren't functioning because they're not receiving the full fullness of their growth from God that they need to. It's part of your growth. It's, it's not now there, there are some roles in the body of Christ that require maturity, like, like leadership and those kind of things, but not everything requires that. And it's not for us to get mature and then serve God. We mature through serving God. Amen. You're only going to get so much just listening. At some point, you ha- in order to learn, you have to learn by doing. What do I mean by that? You have to learn by operating within the kingdom of God, doing the work of the kingdom of God. And what you will find when you start to do that is you will find that some of the things you heard, you start to understand more because now you're actually interacting with it. Amen? Amen. Um, so that's why it's so important for us as believers. We need to function in our gifts. We need to serve and build and edify the body of Christ. Um, so that's some no, no matter who we are or whatever, we need to always be seeking God very seriously on that. God, what do you want me to do? And is there is there gifts I'm not using? Is there more things? Is there things I need to be operating in that I'm sitting on? Um, because when we all begin to operate to the full, what happens is we start to bring more and more people to life. We start to put energy and 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 uh, growth and maturity into more and more. So the more and more of us start to operate, the more and more people are going to receive from us. What you'll find is that the body will start to enliven. Amen. Amen. And, and, and that's, that's what it takes sometimes is for us to be serious. Don't wait for others. Amen. But be willing to do, to do what God has called you to do. 
All right. Um, anybody have any questions or comments about that? All right. Um, so that's our that's that's our series on who am I to God. We got a little bit of time, so I'll, I'll introduce the next lesson. We'll, we'll go into it just a little bit. Um, well, I got these back here. Um, but that's that's our series on who am I to God. We've talked about who we are collectively as a body of believers. Amen? Somebody help me uh, pass these out. Just take one and pass it around. Um The next lesson I want to go over, this is just a, just kind of a one-lesson thing. It, it'll probably take us longer than just one, one Wednesday. Um, but I just have one little study that I put together here. And this study is called Building Your Relationship with God. Building Your Relationship with God. So we've talked about the importance of that relationship. Amen? We've discussed a lot about the importance. Um, and one of the things we learned when we talked about who we are in God, we learned a lot about our relationship. Amen? Um, We talked about the foundation of our relationship. We talked about how our relationship with God as His children, as His creation. So all those things are connected to relationship. But one of the things that we see in Scripture is once we get saved, once we come to know the Lord, we don't just stop there. Amen? We, we are to grow, and we are to grow in our relationship with God. Relationships develop over time. They're not, they're not meant to stagnate, amen? When a relationship stagnates, um, it, it's not going anywhere. So our relationship with God is not meant to stagnate. It's meant to continue to grow. And so what I want to do in this lesson is really just to talk about how do we actually grow in God? What can I do to grow in God? Um, and that, that's, that's the focus of this lesson. We're just going to talk about some different things. Um, it's a big topic, so we won't cover everything. We won't cover every single scripture that talks about this. Um, but I've, I've chosen some scriptures here that I think will help us understand um, will help us understand what how we can actually build our relationship with God. Amen. And it's important. It's important for us to be very intentional about that. It's important for us. <coughs> it's important for us to understand that our relationship with God is something that we need to work on. Amen. And it's just like any other. Think about a marriage relationship. If you never put any work into it. What's going to happen to that relationship? It's going to die, or at the very best, it's going to get stagnated. But it's definitely not going to grow. And that is true of any relationship in life. Even if you have a friend you never talk to, that relationship is not going to grow. It's not going to go anywhere. Um... That's why if you talk to an old friend that you haven't talked to in a long time, a lot of times you go right back to where you were. And sometimes that happens, you know, that that things in life, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, 
but but it's you know you and people always say it's like it's like it's like we never left right you know but but you go right back to where you were why because the relationship hasn't grown since then it's still right back now if you had continued to talk to that person it would be in a new place today and and some, sometimes that happens, but that, that's not supposed to happen with our relationship with God. Amen. Um, if we don't do anything for our relationship with God, and well, and, and here's another question: What happens if only one person in the relationship ever puts any effort into it? It's not going to grow either. It it may grow a little bit at the start, but eventually. That is not a healthy relationship, and it's not going to grow. So we know that God is always reaching out to us. He's favoring us. He's done a lot for us in the past. He continues to look out for us. Amen? But if we never do anything to help that relationship grow, then it's a one-sided relationship. God is doing everything. We're not doing anything. And eventually, it's no longer going to grow. We're going to become stagnated. And we won't grow in God. And we won't realize, we, we won't receive everything that he has for us, everything that he has planned for us. Amen? So that's what, this, that's what this lesson is all about. How do we grow in God? What can we actually do? So the first thing I want us to look at is uh, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Somebody, somebody could get on the mic and read that for me real quick. Uh, Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Thank you. This scripture encapsulates a concept that is at the very core of how we grow in God. First, he says, uh, he talks about how they've been obedient to him. Um, Paul is saying, you've been obedient to my teaching. You've done what things I've told you to do and taught you to do. You've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence. In other words, when he left them, they continued to do the things that he taught them. Amen. Not just when he was there. But he tells them in verse 12, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about working to earn our salvation. Amen? Because we know that, that we, we're not worthy of that to begin with. That comes by the grace of God. Amen? Through what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? But what he's saying is, what do you do after you're saved? What do you do after you're saved? Well, once you're saved, you have to work out your salvation. What he's saying is you have to live, you have to live according to it. But living according to your salvation requires work. It requires work. You cannot live according to your salvation with no effort whatsoever. You have to work it out. And he says, with fear and trembling. He's talking about that concept of fearing God. Fearing God means reverencing Him, taking Him seriously. Amen. Not treating Him like He is unimportant. 
So he says, with fear and trembling. That means with reverence. Doesn't mean that you're uh, doesn't mean you're running away screaming because God's going to smite you. But it does mean that you reverence and respect Him, and you take your relationship with Him very, very, very seriously. So many times we completely fail on that. We we just kind of show up to church. Our relationship with God is just kind of something that we have kind of tucked away into a corner and it's a part of our life. And we go home, we put it up on the shelf and turn on the TV and do whatever we do throughout the week and then come back. That's not working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling is, God, my walk with you and my relationship with you is the most important thing in my life. And I want to know I want to do everything I possibly can to to favor and grow in that relationship. It's the mo- because it's the most important thing to me. Amen. I'm reverencing it. I'm taking it so serious. Amen. There's some things in life that we we take serious. Sometimes we take our job real serious. Why? Because that's how we get paid. If we didn't have the job, where would we be? So we take it serious. We, we make sure we show up on time. Especially if, if we know that the boss is looking out and you're going to get in trouble if you don't show up on time. We make sure we show up. We make sure we got everything in order, right? And, and, so, and, and, and that's just an earthly situation. How much more for God? How much more careful should we be? How much more focused should we be? We got to take it seriously. We got to work out our own salvation. So what he's saying is, he's saying, be very serious about it. Take it. It's it's important. It It is the most utmost important thing in your life. Take it seriously. That means that every single day, we should be, our number one concern should be God, how do I grow my relationship with you? Am I doing anything that's slowing me down? Am I doing anything that's not pleasing to you? Is there anything that I'm failing to do? Amen. We got to take it seriously. That doesn't mean we're beating ourselves up, but that does mean that we're being that we're putting effort into it. We're being very careful with it. We're we are being very conscientious with it. Amen. Focus. We got to focus on it. We got to we got to care for our relationship with God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So the 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 thing there that he's saying is there's things we have to do to continue our our salvation walk. Once we're saved and once we have received all that God that Jesus did for us on the cross, there are things we have to do. There's effort we have to put in very carefully, very diligently to walk in Him, to continue to live according to that. Let's look at the next verse. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So there's a there's a dynamic here. The first part of that dynamic is is what I talked about 
earlier, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is the second part of that dynamic, okay? The first part of that dynamic is what you are required to do. The second part of that dynamic is what you cannot do for yourself. It's what God does. Amen? So you and God are working together, okay? Here's how you, your growth in God is you and God working together. You've got a project that you're working on with him, and it's your spiritual walk, okay? And there's a dynamic between you and him, and this verse, these two verses describes that dynamic. So you are very carefully, conscientiously, with effort and time and commitment, working on that relationship, okay? But here's what God does. He works in you. And, and here, here, here's one of the major problems. It's easy to, for me to stand up here and say, work out your salvation. Put effort and time into your salvation walk. What if you don't want to? What if you don't value your relationship with God that much? You know him, you love, you know, you revere, you've received salvation, you've grown, and you appreciate the things that he's done for you. But what if, what if you don't really value, what if you don't value that relationship enough to actually spend time every day praying? What if you don't value that relationship enough to actually spend time every day in God's word? And that's a hard statement. And the reason I phrased it that way is because the amount of effort you put into your relationship with God reflects how much you value it. Hard thing for me to say. What if you don't value it enough and you just can't find the time, you just can't find, the, the, find it in yourself to be focused and do what God requires of you? That's where this second part of the dynamic comes in. Amen. I've got good news for you. If you're one of the ones that just got hit by that, look at what it says. It is God that worketh in you both to will. Okay, will is your, your will. Your will, your choices. Every time you make a choice, you are exercising your will. If you choose to sit down and spend time in God's word today, you're exercising your will to make a choice to spend time on your relationship with God. If you chose to watch TV or just if you said, well, you know, I'd rather just I don't feel like doing it today. You ex then you exercise a choice of your will. Your will is, is your choices. It's what you choose. God gives us free will. He doesn't make you spend time with him. You have free will. But check this out. God works in you to will and to do. So there's the choice, and then there's the action that follows the choice. Of his good pleasure. In other words, what he wants you to do. He works in you to change your desires. That's what it's saying. He works in you to change. You have free will, but God can work on you to change your desires. He doesn't override your free will, but God can work on you. Yesterday, you didn't want to spend time with him. Today, wait, wait a second. Now all of a sudden, I have a little desire to spend some time with God today. 
And if he keeps working on you, that little desire might become a big desire. Then now what is your will going to choose? What you desire. Before you desired to go take a nap and watch TV. Now you desire to spend some time growing in the Lord. There's a dynamic, okay? Now, if you never do any of the first part, if you never, see, here, here's what happens. Our will may be weak. Our maturity may be weak. We may not be, we may, we may still need to grow. Cause we all, we all are still growing. Amen. Eat. And here's the thing here. Here's the thing about this. Even, and I use that example of, of reading your Bible and praying because statistics say that the majority of people in church don't do that. That's just, I'm not saying anything about anybody. That's just statistics. So I, I know that will hit, probably hit some people. Okay. But even if you're doing those things, you still have a long way to go. Okay? And what cuz what you will find is even when you're studying your scripture, sometimes you're not it's hard to receive it, sometimes it's hard to apply it, sometimes uh even when you're praying to God, you still got stuff going on in your heart that's messed up and not pleasing to him. Okay? So I just use that as an example. Okay, because there's all kinds. God is always working on us. But there's this dynamic where wherever you're at, you do what you know to do and you do what you have the ability to do. And the maturity to do. And 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 maybe all you have the the will or the power to do is just to move that needle just a little bit. Well, maybe I'll just read a verse. Every day. Doesn't take about, about five seconds. I don't care. Just now be careful not to read stuff out of context, but maybe just to start off, all I do is just find a, any old page and just read a verse. Okay. Here's what's going to happen. If you make that decision, you make that commitment, you walk it out. What's going to happen is you open the door to God a little bit. According to you, because he's not going to override your will. He's not going to force his way into your life. But you open the door, you allowed him in. And here's what's going to happen. Spirit of God's going to come into you and he's going to start saying, well, you know what? I'm going to give her a little bit more desire to study my word. I'm going to give him a little bit more desire to read my word. I'm going to use that little open door opportunity and I'm going to come in there and I'm going to work in him. I'm going to work in her to will and to do according to my good pleasure. Next thing you know, maybe I could read two verses. I I I I feel like I'm getting something out of this. I'm growing. Maybe I could read two. Maybe next time I'm going to read a psalm. Every day I'm going to read a psalm. That's a whole chapter. Next thing you know, you're sitting down reading whole books, desiring to seek after God. See, that's the dynamic. Okay, this is how. Sometimes we get discouraged. Because we feel like I'm not going to become Billy Graham overnight. I, 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 I just don't have the patience to sit down and, and read a chapter. I don't have the patience to sit down and read a whole book out of the Bible. But see, even those people, they still had to go through that process of growth. All right. That's, so we'll, we'll talk more about that next time. But there's a dynamic. There's a push and pull between you and God, okay? If you just find a way to open that door a little bit, just a little bit more, he'll come in there, he'll work on you, now you can open a little bit more. He comes in, He now a little bit more, okay? So that you walk out your salvation with fear and trembling, 
and God will work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He will change your desires bit by bit, piece by piece, as you offer him more access, and he will begin to completely transform your heart, okay? We're going to talk about more scriptures. We'll study that more. We'll read more scriptures that explain that concept. But that's why I wanted to start off with Philippians 2, 12 and 13, because it encapsulates that dynamic, okay? And that's the whole dynamic that and all that we're going to talk about, fasting and praying and spending time in the Word, all these things we can do to grow in God. Understand that that dynamic is behind all of it. If you just can't find it in yourself to do it, I'm not excusing that, okay? But I am saying I'm trying to tell you the practical way to overcome that and deal with that. And that's that dynamic. We'll talk more about that next time, and we'll look at some other scriptures and kind of break that down a little bit more. 